Thanks for checking out our weekly podcast. Our mission at Grace is to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For more information about Grace, you can follow us on Facebook or check out our website at experiencegrace.church. Well, amen. We're glad you're here today, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue the series that started last week. And uh, believe it or not, we're just one week into the new year. That means one week into New Year's resolutions. So the big question is, how are you doing? One week in. How many of you are like, man, I am just killing it. I don't see any hands going up. Um, maybe some of you are like, I don't know. It's kind of so-so uh, when it comes to the New Year's resolutions. Well, New Year's resolutions, of course, are meant to change us, our body, our eating habits, our finances, whatever it is. But let's be honest, more often the reality is that it's really about a change in our perspective, isn't it? And a change in the way we think. We really need to learn to eat better, to learn how to exercise more or save money or get rid of some of those bad habits and replace them with good ones. Why is that? Well, because we begin to realize the value of something that we didn't previously realize. You know, a change in how we think results in, or is the starting point to, a change in how we act. I love how Pastor Josh always says it. He says, beliefs determine behavior. And this is so true, that what we believe determines how we live, or should determine how we live. And this is why in so many areas of life, if we don't win the battle of the mind, then little else matters. This is also why, as we'll see in the scriptures today, that it commands us as believers to be transformed by the what? The renewing of our minds. Very, very important. Now, we're going to learn today that God wants to change the way I think. God wants to change the way I think. This is a huge part of what it looks like to be made new in Christ is that we no longer think the way we used to think because we no longer see the world we used to, the way we used to see it. Let me ask you, have you, ever been, had you, have you ever changed your mind about something that you didn't think you would have changed your mind about? I can think of multiple things in my life, um, it, it just things that I would have not expected to have ever changed my mind on. In fact, there were some things that I've told people I would never do that I now currently practice and, in fact, believe in truly with all of my heart in these things. A couple of those things are, number one, um, writing a blog. Back in many years ago, I, I thought that, man, people who write blogs just, man, that's for the birds. Who has the time to write something, put it online, hope people will read it? I mean, that, somebody's got way too much time on their hands if they have time to write a blog. But then I met someone who talked to me and taught me about all the benefits and the potential of being able to impact people in a specific field and being able to have a wider range of influence through writing content on a blog. And guess what? They changed my mind. Since that time, it's been since 2014, I've been writing a blog post weekly for the last many, many years and plan to continue doing so. Why? Because my perspective or my new way of thinking and understand something changed my actions towards that. 
You know, another thing that I said that I would never be known for doing was being someone who works out, or at least works out regularly, with any regularity. Well, growing up, you know, since childhood, I've always been able to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and exercise here or there, or exercise not at all. Why is that? Well, because I love bacon. How many of you can relate? You know, bacon's wonderful. Uh, Many people wear their favorite gym t-shirt to show their workouts. Years ago, my sister started buying me some t-shirts, and these shirts are my workout t-shirts that I've worn for years. Here's one of them. And this is very representative of me. If you know that, that know me very well, I love bacon. I'll be walking through the store, and I get more smiles and more responses from wearing this shirt walking down the aisle. I'll be in Walmart walking down the aisle, and I see people smiling at me. I'm thinking, do they know me? I'm like, oh, no, I'm just wearing my bacon workout shirt today. And people will actually stop me and say, that's awesome! And they'll laugh out loud in the aisle at this shirt. You know, there's a second shirt here that I actually wanted to show you today, and this is one that I like to wear, but I decided I wouldn't show you that one. So, now, I never, ever planned to be someone who works out. In fact, to tell you just how serious I was about not being someone who would work out, I took all of my son's gym equipment when he went off to college, and you know what? He wasn't going to need it anymore. I sure wasn't going to need it, and so I sold it all. All the weights, the workbench, everything that he had, um, or the weight bench, and you know, I had, he had a good, good amount of stuff. Well, about three months ago, I looked at myself in the mirror, started talking to a health professional who explained to me some of the importance of maintaining health and building strength in the later years of your life as you age. And, you know, all of a sudden, I took on a totally new perspective in the way I saw and thought about working out. And when that started to change, for the first time in a long time, I realized I really need to do something for the sake of my future health and my future self. Now, when I started changing my thinking, it started changing my living. It affected the way that I eat and how much that I eat and what I eat. It started to change the way that I work out and how often I work out. And, you know, I, I don't mind cardio, but I've told you before I'm not a big strength guy. Not because I don't have lots of strength, but because I just am not into strength training and yet had to start getting into that. And doing some of those things, they're very helpful to balance out that good health. And so for the last three months or so, I've tried to get healthy, tried to lose weight, and now I'm doing what I said I would never do. I'm one of those guys that's working out, and I actually enjoy it. Now, what changed? Well, very simply, my perspective is what changed. I changed my mind, my thinking about the way I viewed those things and their importance. And while I used to think that blogging was a waste of time, I now invest quite a bit of time into doing it. While I used to think I would never do any type of weightlifting or strength training, now I'm enjoying the working out multiple times a week, all because I started seeing things from a new and more accurate perspective. Now, everything changes when you start to see things through a new lens point of the message today is not to teach you that you need to go home and start working out. Not going to be a bad thing if you do. The Bible says that bodily exercise will profit you, but it will profit you far little compared to godliness. 
I'd encourage you to do some of both. But there is something to be said for us changing our mind and our perspective when it comes to the things of God. And it all starts when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior. You see, this is why we tell people that you need to repent and believe in the gospel to be saved because the repenting is the part where you change your mind and the way you think towards sin, which results in the beginning of a process of sanctification through salvation that now you're going to change in the way you live. So this happens through a person coming to faith in Christ and their faith in Christ, salvation, that moment of salvation is the moment of change when a perspective shift happens, a lens is changed in their life to see the world through a whole new way. Last week, we started a series in Ephesians 4 called Made New, and it's based on this uh, verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Josh started last week teaching us how to be made new in relationships. Once we understand who we are in Jesus, as seen in Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 3, we are now to walk worthy of that calling. That means we live a life that matches who we are in Jesus. Now, that all starts not with a list of do's and don'ts, but with uh, the fruit of the Spirit. If you remember, we are to put on in our relationships lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing. But then we get to verses 3 through 6 in our text, and not only are we to be made new in relationships, we're to be made new in perspective. In other words, the way that a Christian sees life and the world ought to be very different from those who are unsaved, because salvation gives us a totally new lens through which we view everything. And what is that new lens? That new lens is the gospel. We now begin to see not only our salvation, but our entire life through the lens of the gospel and how it shapes the world around us. See, once we become a child of God, God wants to change the way we think by changing the way we see our life, the way we see the world and our place in it through the gospel. And this is the gospel that not only saved us, but the gospel that sanctifies us to become more and more like Jesus day by day until we see him face to face. So when a person comes to faith in Christ, seeing everything through a completely different lens is a part of what we see there in 2 Corinthians 5.17 of all things being made new, especially God's changing what's going on here, here, and then here. You know, we once were lost, but now we're found. We were headed for hell, but now we're bound for heaven. God redeemed us through his blood. He adopted us into his family. We were living for ourselves, but now we are living for a purpose far greater than ourselves. Our perspective changed through salvation, and as a result, our life and how we view it began to change as well. You know, through the gospel, we begin to see that there's a greater purpose at work in and through us, and all this sinful mess that we call the world around us, there's actually a plan to it all. The gospel is what helps us to have the lens to see what that plan is. Look at verses 3 through 6 with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6 says, this is picking up from where we talked last week, verses 1 and 2, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, notice those words, ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, there are some things, three specific things, that God has called us to in this ver- these verses. As you, he, he pointed out in verse 4, ye are called. There are three things I'd like to point out that we're called to, to do, to have with our new perspective that we've been given in Christ. Let's talk about them this morning. Number one, we are called to unity. We see this in verse 3, and this is how our new perspective changes how we behave. He says, endeavoring. The word endeavoring means we are to exercise, exert ourselves, or give diligence to. To what? Well, he says to keep. What is he referring to? He's referring back to verse 2, where he talks about how we relate to other people of having unity with others through the fruit of the Spirit. So we are endeavoring, we're exerting ourselves, giving diligence to keep. What does to keep mean? Well, it implies that it's something you've already been given. In other words, at salvation, you were given unity in Christ and peace with God. You have been given unity in your heart, unity that you didn't have with God, and now God wants that unity to affect other relationships. God gave you peace. You need to be at peace with others. God gave you forgiveness. You need to forgive others. You see the point? God's showing unity that you have now with God transfers to unity to your relationships. I like how Pastor Josh mentioned it. He said, we are not working for something we don't have, but working from something we do have. What is this that we've been given? Well, he calls it, at the end of the verse, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So unity is within the heart of the believer. And here's why. Because the Spirit of God is within the heart of the believer. God has given you His Spirit to live in you, and the Spirit is what brings about the unity and begins producing the fruit of the Spirit that we see in verse 2. So here's what God says. I've given you all of these things. In fact, I've given you the Holy Spirit to help you live out all of these things. Now, endeavor with God's help in you to keep what you've already been given. You know, God's all about unity. If you look at the uh, scriptures, what is God? He is a trinity. God is uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The trinity. God is about unity, about union. But we know that our enemy is not at all about unity. Our enemy is all about what? Division. He wants to divide and to destroy Paul's helping the Ephesians to understand that when you understand as a believer who you are in Christ and what you've been given through salvation, it changes how you want to behave towards other people. You want unity like God wants unity. You desire peace instead of conflict. You want unity over division. That's why we've heard this before, that God's church should reflect God's character so important that if we are a part of God's church, if we are a believer, we are to be the living reflection of Jesus to the world. We are to reflect God's character. When it doesn't reflect God's character, we give ammunition to our enemy to use against us. We are called to unity. Let's notice the second thing, and that's this. We are called to unanimity. In verses 3 through 6, we see this, how our new perspective changes what we believe. Once we understand our calling to unity as believers, we're also to understand our calling to unanimity. You say, you know what? (laughs) Unanimity is very simply the understanding of being unanimous or of undivided opinion. 
about certain things that are true. Once we become a believer, we have um, a, a unity amongst other believers about certain things that are true because these are core things from the Bible that we believe. May I tell you today that what we believe matters. Don't let people tell you that what you believe doesn't matter. What you believe matters greatly, especially making sure that what you believe is rooted upon the foundation of the Word of God. You know, as part of all things becoming new at salvation is the fact that salvation changes our beliefs. In fact, you can't get saved unless something changes about what you believe. You have to come to the realization, I am a sinner who deserves punishment for my sin, and yet there is a Savior who offers me forgiveness and salvation and eternal life in heaven. And so there's got to be a change of belief in your mind that then affects your heart. No person is a Christian without that change of belief. You know, it doesn't all happen at once, though. Now, salvation happens at once. But the change of our beliefs is something that continues after we're saved. It's a process over time because God changes what we believe as God changes how we think. If, if, if God didn't change us what we believe over time by how we think, then guess what? He wouldn't have told us to renew our minds. He's telling us we need to constantly be changing in the way we think, which means there are some things that are going to change in what we believe as we get closer to Jesus. If you haven't changed your mind about anything in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you're probably not growing. You're going to grow as you come to more understanding of God changing your mind about things. So our beliefs are no longer rooted in the foundations of opinion. Our beliefs are not rooted in culture or even our closest relationships. Once we get saved, our beliefs are rooted in truth and specifically the authority of the Word of God because the seed of the Word of God has been placed and planted within our hearts and now it begins to grow. Now our new perspective begins changing what we believe. We now have confidence in what is true. As Paul goes on to list some of the things that we believe to be true. We might call these fundamentals of the faith. Let's look at them. He says, we um, believe in one body. Those who come to Christ uh, through faith and in salvation become a part of the body of Christ, the church. If you are a child of God, if you are a believer here, you know that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You are a part of this body, this one body. He says we believe in one spirit. The way that we enter into the body of Christ is through the spirit. At, the, at salvation, God gives the spirit to every believer. The Bible says we're actually baptized into the spirit as a part of the body who comes to dwell in in us and live in us and give us his power. He says we have one hope of our calling. Look at how Paul describes this. Uh, if you pay, turn back a page to chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. In other words, once you have this new perspective on life, Paul says, man, your eyes have been enlightened. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa, I never saw the world. I never saw life this way or through this lens before. He says, now you will know what is the hope of his calling. You have a reason for living that you didn't have before. 
One thing that all believers know and understand across the world is that they are called to a higher purpose and an eternal hope that the world can never fully understand. You know, there's one body, and all that belong to that body should have one heart. Why? Because we all have the same spirit. We put our faith and our hope in the same Jesus. We all put our hope in the same promise of heaven. We all have one hope of our calling if we are true believers of Jesus Christ. This is why it's sad to see so much division in our world today, even in Christianity. Sad to see so much division within churches and the church. If we believe in the Jesus of the Bible, then we're on the same team. I don't have to agree with everybody else on everything else, but the reality is there are some things that if I can't agree on with you, you're my brother. You're my sister. We're family. And if there's someone in any pulpit today across the world that's preaching the same Jesus that I'm preaching to you from the Bible, guess what? They're my brother. And I want to be unified with them to find common ground. The Bible says we have one Lord One Lord, one thing in common for all who have been redeemed is their understanding that Jesus is Lord. People who are saved understand Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just one of many gods to choose from. Jesus is God. And we profess that when we call upon him to be saved. Jesus, you are Lord. (laughs) You're, you're, You're the Savior. You're the only one. One faith, he says, what is the one faith he's referring to? This is the gospel. He says there's, there's only one gospel. Now, there are many false faiths or gospels out there today, but only one true faith of the Bible. And this is one true faith that all hinges upon Jesus Christ. Not religion. The true faith of the Bible does not, re- does not hinge upon good works. It does not hinge upon baptism. It, depends upon, it hinges all upon Jesus he is Lord. He is God. He, was, he died, he was buried, he rose again. He's the way, the truth, and the life, the Bible says. And all who trust in him alone will be saved. Notice he says one baptism. Baptism is simply how we profess our faith. Through baptism, by immersion in water, which is an outward expression of an inward faith. We believe that baptism does not save. If a person comes to faith in Christ, they become a part of this body, this family of God. But yet, baptism does not wash away sin, but it is only for those whose sins have been washed away. It is not for infants. Why? Because that is not something we find in the Scripture. We only find that people who placed their faith in Jesus Christ were ever baptized because they wanted to show outwardly that they were unashamed of their faith that was inside of their heart. And so they have taken what they have believed, the belief of the gospel, and they have expressed it now publicly that I am unashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when a person is baptized, we'll have some people being baptized here in just a couple of weeks, and we see it firsthand that the, the waters of baptism represent that as we, are, uh, we believe what Jesus did on the cross, he was buried, we're buried with him in death. We're raised with him, the Bible says, to symbolize our new life in Christ. We believe in one baptism. He says we believe in one God and Father of all. Yet this one God is manifested in three persons, the Trinity, who is above all, that's God the Father, 
who is through all. I believe that's a reference to God the Son because the Bible says that it's by Him or through Him all things consist. The whole world is held together by Jesus. And it says, who is in you all? A beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit who lives within the believer. So all of these things that he mentions are important things that we believe as Christians and that we are called to be unified upon. Now, they're often easier said than done, though, because many Christians get what I like to call spiritual myopia. They can't see clearly or rightly the big picture of what God has called them first to believe and then to become as a result of that belief. And so oftentimes Christians will get many, uh, have many distractions and become short-sighted about maybe getting focused on what they do for Christ rather than who they are in Christ. Or maybe they get wrapped up in operating out of guilt and shame rather than out of the peace and love that God's given to them. So it's easy to say, I believe all of those things, but when my life doesn't match who I am in Jesus or reflect what I say I believe, my life is basically saying, not one body, not one spirit, not one hope, not one Lord, not one faith, not one baptism, not one God, not one Father. See, if all these things are real, our lives as believers must reflect that these things are true. This is the way that the world sees Jesus through us. The Bible says, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples because you have love one to another. Our unity is what the world ought to see that causes them to want what we have in Jesus. God's church should reflect God's character. Now, others can begin to see that what we believe is not only changing how we behave, it's changing then who we become. Let's look at the third thing today, and that's this, that we are called to unity. We're called to unanimity or that undivided opinion about what we believe. Number three, we are called to unconditional trust. This is our new perspective and how it changes who we become. How do verses four through six help us to make new our perspective? Well, very generally, we could say that they point out that once we are saved, it's no longer about us. Once we get saved, your life is no longer about you. It's no longer about me. And now you and I realize that it isn't about us, but about God's plan and purpose for His church and for His world. Did you realize that in salvation, you became one with God through Jesus Christ? That is, that's a mind-blowing statement. You became one with God through Jesus Christ. Your life is no longer your own. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, but he that is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. God invites you into union with himself and into the union with his son and his spirit. Listen, this beautiful thing called the Trinity that we can't fully wrap our minds around, God says, I invite you through salvation to become a part of that, to be at one with us. And because you are now one with God and have union or unity with God, you are no longer living your plans, your purposes, but for His. Because He is above all. He's through all. He's in you all. Think about this. The Old Testament believers didn't fully grasp this. They couldn't fully grasp this and understand the concept of being one with God because they didn't get to see God as God the Father why? Because the Son and the Spirit had not yet been brought to the forefront of God's story. But for us, we get to experience God in all His fullness. 
as the Father of all, through all, in you all. The Bible says that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. He's the image of the invisible God. The Spirit is the very person of Jesus who lives in us. Jesus says, I'm going to leave, but I'm not actually leaving. I'm coming to live in you. And so when we realize that we're one with God, we recognize that these things are true. We believe He is above all. He has all power. He is through all. He's working through everything, both seen and unseen. And He is in you all. He lives in us. So as believers, our made new perspective allows us to have an unconditional trust in a God who knows what He's doing, both in our lives and in our world. A couple years ago for our vacation Bible school, we did a theme called History or His Story. And it was a fun theme to be able to teach to the kids that God has a, a big story that he's writing in the world. And this big story goes from page one of the Bible all the way to the last page. And it's a story who's all about one person. And this one person is Jesus. It's a story about corruption, or I'm sorry, creation and corruption, the cross and the crown. That God created a perfect world. Man sinned against God, bringing about corruption in the world. And yet God provided a Savior through Jesus who, was di who died, was buried, and rose again so that he could redeem us back to God. And that one day God is going to finish writing his story. He's going to sit on his throne, place the crown on his head, and we will reign with him forever if we are one of his. You know, when we are a Christian, we can understand this. That there's a bigger story being written in the world around us that the unsaved do not understand. You know, God has an eternal plan. God is writing His story, and we get to be a part of it. And not just a part of it on the outside looking in. Once we're saved, we get to be a part of it from the inside looking out. Because we're not just in Christ. He's in us. I love this quote that I heard recently that said, Satan is not scared of you but he is scared of Christ in you. You know that Satan knows that if you allow God to radically change your perspective and as a result your life, you become a threat to him and to his purpose. One of the greatest and most powerful truths in all of Scripture is the fact that God himself chooses to make you his home. His life, his power, his peace resides inside of you. Look what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Our perspective changes because our power source changes. We used to be living in our own power, the power of our flesh. Now we're living in the power of God's Spirit. And Colossians 1.27 says it this way, that Christ in you the hope of glory. Now, as we consider those three points of what God has called us to with our new perspective, let's make it practical as we wind things down. We, I want to share with you five things quickly, and these are five things that need to change in our perspective or that our new perspective changes in us. All right? Here we go. Number one, and this is where we make sense of all this for our daily lives, we have a supernatural new identity. In chapter 2 and verse 19, the Bible says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. When we understand the new lens through which we look at our life, we recognize, wow, I used to be really comfortable here in this place called the world, but this world is not my home anymore. 
I realize this world is not uh, my, my dwelling place. This is my home. We're strangers here. We're fellow citizens with others who have gone on before. We call a place home that we've never seen but we long for because this new identity that we have is not of this world. Another thing that our new perspective changes in us is this. We have a more powerful sensitivity to sin. If you look at chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it talks about how we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But then verse 4 says, but God, that's salvation, but God, who is rich in mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. For by grace are you saved. It says you used to be living life and your mind in this way. You were going this direction towards sin, towards your purpose and your plans. But when you got saved, the Bible says God quickened you. He made you alive. He changed you. And all of a sudden, you have a new reason for living. Your tastes begin to change. You used to be living for and towards sin now, sin no longer tastes quite as good as it used to because your perspectives towards sin has changed. You know, my wife was making goodies not too long ago for Christmas, and I looked at her and said, you know what? As much as I like those, they don't have as much of a pull on me as they used to. I don't desire them quite as much as I used to. Because once I started tracking all of the calories and macros and the foods I was eating, and it changed the way I looked at those foods. And junk food became less appealing because my new perspective brought about an increased sensitivity and awareness to them. You know, the same is true spiritually. The more we exercise our spiritual tastes towards the eternal things of God, the more our desire for the temporal things, the junk food of the world, begins to fade. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's another thing that changes in our perspective. We have a new and fresh awareness of God at work in us personally. Look at chapter 1 and verse 13. He says in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So in other words, God gave you his Holy Spirit. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? God not only gave you his spirit, along with his spirit, he says, I gave you my power. You have the very power of God at work in you <clears throat> to live through you. So here's my question. Are you as a believer living in the conscious awareness of the goodness of God and the ongoing work of God in your daily life? We have a, we've been blessed with being able to raise a little girl. She's three and a half months old now. We brought her home from the hospital. Her name's Julia. I asked my wife if I could show you a picture of her today, and she said, well, we're really not allowed to. So she's the cutest thing in the world, and uh, sorry to my own kids <laughs> for saying that, but she is the cutest thing in the world. She's on my screensaver. I'll show you when you leave today if you'd like to see a picture of her. Now, little Julia this last week discovered something new. She discovered that she has a tongue. And it's the cutest thing to watch a newborn baby discover that they have something in their mouth they didn't know was there. She's playing with it. She's doing all kinds of faces with it. And what a joy it is to watch her. It was just a month or so ago that she smiled for the very first time. 
You know, you smile at them from the day they're born and you talk to them and you tell them loving things, but then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you're feeding that precious baby that bottle and you're smiling at them and then all of a sudden, this big grin comes on their face for the first time, like they saw you for the first time. Like, oh, you've been there? It was this past week that, you know, if you know little Julia, she's like, her, certain parts of her body don't fit the rest of her body yet. So she's got a coconut belly where she's got this big coconut that doesn't fit the rest of her body. So I was kissing her belly yesterday and for the first time, she started to belly laugh. And you know what? It's awesome when babies belly laugh, isn't it? Oh, it brings so much joy to your heart when those little ones just start laughing uncontrollably. And may I tell you that all of these things that are new and fresh to her ought to be a reminder to us as believers that there ought to be a freshness once again of the awareness of God in our life, that it ought to be easy for us to not just live, it ought not be easy for us to live the rest of our lives the way that the world lives, just trying to scrape by when all along we've been given supernatural power on the inside to see and live life completely anew and afresh. Listen, every day you ought to be experiencing God and seeing God in your life, working, speaking, showing you things about the ch way you need to change the way you think towards people and situations and people you need to minister to and things you need to do or not do or watch or not watch or say or not say. Listen, you ought to be walking in step with God. The Bible calls it walking in the Spirit. And sadly, there's a lot of Christians that don't do much of it. We need to live with a fresh awareness of God on a daily basis. Let me encourage you, maybe you're facing trials today. You can see those through the new gospel lens that you have. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, ye sorrow not as others which have no hope. Listen, the new perspective we've been given is called faith. Here's what faith is. Faith means that we live with a painful acknowledgement that everything about the present is uncertain, and yet we act in light of a good future that we believe is certain. Notice the next one, that we have a big picture acknowledgement of God at work in the world. In chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, he talks about... Um, how we can see God at work in the world, um, and we won't take time to read it. But may I tell you that Christians ought to view the world differently than those who are not saved. We have a completely different lens. And may I tell you specifically, that includes even the way we look at what's going on with Hamas and with Israel right now. We ought to see that through a biblical lens because we're not seeing, or what, what, what we are seeing now going on in the world is really just a precursor of what is to come. The Bible tells us about a worldwide conflict that will center on Israel and the Middle East. And as Christians, we don't have to be surprised by what's happening. Whether it's going to come full circle or to full fruition now or sometime in the future, we don't know, but we're getting a taste of what we know is to come. And the Bible says, as believers, we can look up because our redemption draweth nigh. As Christians, we are waiting with anticipation for Christ to come, knowing how it all ends. In the end, God gets the crown. When I was an eight-year-old boy, our parents took us to a place called the Gwindons. This was a couple in our church who served missionaries all the time. 
I remember cleaning up in the kitchen one day with Miss Gwendon, very elderly lady, who she said to me, Andrew, she says, we ought to thank God for these dirty dishes. I remember as an eight-year-old boy, she asked me, she says, you know why we ought to thank God for dirty dishes? I said, no, ma'am. She says, well, I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. So I went and sat at the kitchen table, and I thought about it, and I got nothing. I came back, and I said, Miss Gwendon, I do not know the answer. I can't think of one good reason to thank God for dirty dishes. This was right after we'd eaten the meal. She said, well, Andrew, we thank God for dirty dishes because it means that we had something good to eat. Did you know that there are a whole lot of dirty dishes in our world that from a natural man's perspective seem discouraging and disheartening, but from a biblical perspective are the fulfillment of God's promise at work in our world? The day she told me that changed that I, a way I'd never seen it until I saw it through a new perspective. May I tell you, everything in biblical prophecy has been fulfilled that needs to be fulfilled for Jesus to return and Christ to begin the end times process of claiming the eternal victory. I hope you believe it. The last thing I want to tell you is this. Our new perspective changes the fact that we have peace with God. A peace that transcends all understanding. It was about a month ago in my office that a family got saved collectively, husband, wife, daughter. It was beautiful. And Stacy, the mother who got saved, said this the next week when she came into my office and we followed up and I said, how are things going? And she said, she said, I just have this overwhelming peace that I've never had before. She says, I can't fully explain it, but it's the best feeling in the world. I said, yeah, that's the peace of God that comes through knowing that you're saved and salvation is yours and that heaven's your home. And I tell you, one of the things that a Christian's perspective gives them that the world wants but doesn't have is peace. And you may be here today and you've tried religion, you've tried being a good person, you've tried baptism, you've tried many different things, but it hasn't brought you the one thing you want, and that's peace. May I tell you today, try Jesus. You may be here today and you know that's what you're missing. You don't have this new perspective that we've talked about today. You don't see your life through the filter of a new God-given lens, and today is the day that you need to put your faith in the gospel and trust in Jesus to be saved. Jesus lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He died a terrible death. You deserve to die. And if you will trust him, he will save you. He will give you eternal life in place of eternal death. If you're a Christian here today, maybe you've been living like you are not. Because your current lens on life and the world looks little to no different than those around you. May I encourage you today to start once again walking in the Spirit, renewing your mind through the Word of God, preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Thanks again for listening today. Grace Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. If there's anything at all we can do for you, please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook as well as online at experiencegrace.church. Hope you have a great day.